When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Steelers Draft Talk. I'm your host, Derek Bell. With me is my good buddy, Nick Martin. Today, we are going to talk about some Steelers draft needs, do a little forward thinking. Um, I think there's a big draft question that a lot of people are asking us, so we wanted to address that on the show revolving the left tackle situation. Um, And then we're going to talk a little bit about the college football bowl games, uh, particularly the college football playoffs. You know, both of those games kick off this weekend so a lot to look forward to but first nick how was your how was your christmas how how's your weekend go uh it was great man uh aside from the cold but it's gonna be getting a lot warmer as, especially as we get into bowl season so looking forward to that for sure for sure yeah for sure it was a frigid weekend man it was so cold i can't remember last time that it was that cold here in louisville it was um negative like 25 with the wind chill one Jesus. day when I was walking out of work. So it was uh, it was pretty frigid. But, yeah, it's so weird. Um, I guess it's like this probably mostly everywhere, but it's so funny because the Ohio Valley weather is just wild. Like we were negative temps just a couple of days ago, and then I think tonight or tomorrow it's supposed to get up to like 55 degrees. <laughs> so just kind of kind of bizarre. Yep. Um, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about um, – left tackle and kind of the basis of this conversation and how um, this question kind of got formulated was um, we did a Q and a with people on Twitter where they could ask us questions and like we would answer them on the show. This was probably about, you know, one of the first couple episodes that we did. So four or five weeks ago, one of the main questions was about, you know, the Steelers biggest draft needs, you know, you and I both came up here and we said, you know, um, you know, the obvious positions that, you know, looked like needs, um, one of which being the left tackle. The Steelers probably need a left tackle. Uh, you know, at that point in the season, I think Dan Moore had already given up like eight or nine, eight, eight sacks, I think, at that point. Um, and it just seemed like we were headed into this abyss of, you know, clarity. Maybe clarity is a better word that, like, he was not the long-term answer. I think some of that um, could still potentially be true. But I think it's worth noting how well Moore has played since the first drive of that Colts game. And here's just some numbers, um, you know, and these box score numbers aren't everything, but just since the first drive of that Colts game, uh, you know, he gave up that early sack, had the penalty on like the first drive. He didn't give up another pressure throughout the game. Uh, They play Atlanta, two pressures, Baltimore, one pressure, Carolina, zero pressures, Vegas, two pressures. So that's a combined, um five pressures in the last four games i mean that's that's pretty good regardless of competition and we can we can get into that and acknowledge that the competition that the steelers offenses have faced recently especially in the pass rush department hasn't been electric by any means um but more has played a lot better and i think it deserves maybe putting him into consideration as the team starting left tackle next season if this trajectory that he's on continues to move upward 
Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. Um, biggest thing for me with Dan Moore's uh, with Dan Moore's play has been consistency down the stretch because we mentioned this before. We wanted to see a level of consistency with him before we would feel good about him as a potential starting left tackle. And while he can be improved upon in that regard, I do think if you feel good about not having your left tackle get your quarterback killed, that's a much bigger step than where we were coming into the season where it was looking like a disaster in the preseason in terms of just how the offensive line was performing and gelling. And more than anything, versus prior years, the biggest thing, this unit has been healthy pretty much the entirety of the season. And that's been a huge for their chemistry and their development. You even saw like Kevin Dotson start to start to really come into his own. Him and Dan Moore I think both of them have kind of gelled more together. And I believe Tomlin, he said he had one of them Tomlinisms. No one has car seats in the back of their car. Talking about like the life responsibilities and how they're both unmarried. And, you know, they just relate, you know, they relate to each other and stuff like that. And I think that's a, you know, that's a really good point about growing chemistry more than anything. Um, Overall, my my thoughts on the tackle situation is this: Dan Moore is service is serviceable, and I think that's a and that's a big step forward. Would I trust? Would that dissuade me from drafting a guy who I thought was the best player available at offensive tackle? No, and the reason I could say that is because one, this unit has been healthy the entire season. And Jakuma Korfor has that massive contract. And while I think a Korfor has been serviceable, I do not think he is worth. He's overpaid. Yeah, he's 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 overpaid. And I think if Dan Moore can, he he could potentially raise his level of play past what Jakuma Korfor has shown, especially with Dan Moore's his nastiness in the run game. That's one of the that's one of the bigger factors I like about Dan Moore's when he combos off of Kevin Dodson. You get some real nastiness on that side. I don't really get that nastiness what I what I see from Shakuma Korfor, but you and I talked about this a little bit in private, but we've talked about we talked you talked to me personally about how his independent e hand usage has increased. And the thing with um me for Dan Moore, um, I've always thought he struggled with power more than anything. And that's the bit that was the biggest question I had. But seeing him be able to handle Chandler Jones hand usage because I'm a huge Chandler Jones fan. I, I, I watch edge rushers a ton. That guy knows how to throw you for a loop with his, with his ability to rush the passer, big jujitsu kind of guy. And the fact Dan Moore showed that hand usage to be able to keep him, keep him out of his chest, keep him, keep him from disrupting. That was huge before he went out with injury and big thing with me with Dan Moore if you can continue to show those incremental improvements it makes you, you you start to feel better as a coaching staff that things are working and that's the thing Pat Meyer a lot of his coaching philosophies it took a little bit um of an adjustment period but I think it's, period for sure yeah it's definitely it's definitely starting to pay off and the fact you're seeing that sort of you're seeing the you're seeing the fruits of labor pay off in that in that regard that's you know that's huge going forward but like i said it doesn't dissuade them from 
considering the best player available at, right. at those at those respective positions, especially when you're you've been healthy the entire season. It's very unlikely that that's going to happen the very next season. And that's one the of the thing, one of the things too. You you brought up the coaching aspect of it, and yeah. when I went to training camp. I had the opportunity to speak with Kevin Dodson briefly and then, you know, kind of heard some of the other quotes that he gave in the media scrums and just him and some of the other offensive linemen. I do not get the feeling that a lot of the offensive linemen cared for Adrian Clem last year. And I don't think it's necessarily a um, surprise that Tomlin let him walk before the season was even over. Uh, I just don't think that the linemen were taking to his approach. Um, and I, I got the sense in the offseason that they were, they were, you know, a lot more engaged with, you know, Mayer's philosophy. Um, and there was a really rough period. You know, that Jacksonville preseason game, particularly for Moore, was really rough. I mean, it, it was bad. You know, you could tell no one was comfortable. Even a guy like who I think is, has, been, had, has had a good season in James Daniels, was not playing well early this season oh my you know, goodness. before the regular season start. And that's I, largely changed. Yeah. And I, I think there's, you know, there's something to be said about that, you know, the coaching aspect of it. That's, you know, great to see. And I think also, you know, the expectations for more at to start at left tackle um, as a fourth round rookie last year, they, that was not a fair position to put him in. You know, they really were, I think, for whatever reason, when they made that decision to bring back Zach Banner, that decision on its own was terrible. But the process to him even being inserted into the lineup was shaky. And But they, they didn't have another option. And I think when you look at more, you watch him this year, the biggest change is the independent hand usage. You know, he's leaning with a lot of those inside strikes, inside strikes. And what that's doing is like, I noticed it with Jones too, you know, when Jones would try to get some of his like crazy hand movements or, you know, two hand swipe cross chop type stuff. Um, he would be, you know, hitting him with that inside hand on that shoulder pad. It just throws off the timing of those edge rushers. Like they, they just don't like that. They would much prefer you, you know, give them that outside hand so they could just swipe it down and go off the edge. Like, but with more, you know, they're, I mean, I watched the Raiders game already two, two days ago. And I think I saw him lead with like a two hand punch, I think one time. And that's exactly what you want to see. I mean, like last year, he was, you know, he would lean. He would, you know, let guys get into his chest. Now, the question I have with Moore, and it's not – we don't have enough sample size of a, of a season left to answer it really. But the, the biggest question I have is, um, is he ever going to be the type of guy that's going to have the recoverability that you really want in a um, – we'll just say a top half of a uh, starting left tackle in the league. You know, I agree that Moore is serviceable right now. He's playing solid football. Um, and I don't know, I don't want to say that he's capped out or anything. I just don't know. When I when I see guys that are able to get into his chest, so times where his hand placement maybe isn't the best and his hands get too wide and he gives up his chest, um, he doesn't recover the way that you would want a top end left tackle to recover you know guys are able to just literally pile drive him backwards because he just can't anchor and that anchor ability the recoverability to refit your hands get them get them back tight to your body that's something that you need because um just like any other position especially at this level 
you can have a plan going into the rep, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that rep's going to go that way. Sometimes you miss. Sometimes you do make false steps. Sometimes, um, you know, you don't win the rep outright the way you want to. So you have to be able to recover. That's a big question that I have for him in terms of um, is it enough for the Steelers to, you know, potentially look elsewhere? I, I don't I don't know. But I think it's a good conversation. And I'm happy that we're even capable of having a sensible conversation about this because what it does is it makes the Steelers feel comfortable enough to where they're not pigeonholed or backed into a corner to having to select one specific position wherever their first round pick may be, whether that's, you know, 12th or 13th or, you know, 18th or 19th, they're pressured to uh, even trade up to get a specific player. Exactly. And the fact that they're going to be probably picking a little later than we expected because of the fact that they're in the playoff hunt, which is crazy in itself. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mike Tomlin, incredible coach. But, you know, you, you talk about that and the fact that you could consider different positions at in the first round as a result. Maybe they want to go in like a direction like defense and solve their corner back position, which is in our opinion, probably the biggest position of need considering they can't, they can't run their scheme at all with what they have, but maybe they go like in a, in a, in a wild direction and they take like Jordan Addison or something They could go, they could go in a bunch of different directions in terms of the, of the uh, players they want to take, but they also have that offensive line on the table. If a guy falls to them, they don't have to, they don't have to, feel pressured but at the same time they can consider it more at like 33 versus like 15 or something like that like that's that's a bit that's a big deal especially because it's looking like a much deeper offensive tackle class as i start to watch and get more into it i you know you see guys with different different strengths and weaknesses but obviously it, it's looking like a stronger tackle class than uh, at least i anticipated overall sure. and i think the fact you can look at that and you can see how deep corner is i think that i think that can play a big big decision in whether you pick that position early or pick it a little bit later and i think it's important to play the depth of the class as much as it is to, to draft off your best player available and the need and the need that you're looking for. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. You don't want to get, like I said, you just don't want to back yourself into a corner feeling like yeah. you have to pick it. Like we've seen the Steelers do that, you know, for Artie the most Burns. part, for the most part, I think the Steelers over the course of time have done well to avoid that situation. Um, but there have been instances where we definitely felt like, you know, they're taking this player or this position because they felt like they had to, um, and, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily specific to the Steelers. That's an NFL-wide thing. Sometimes you just, you know, get yourself in those situations, and that's what you want to try to avoid. Um, but you mentioned um, the conversation just around, like, round one tackles. Um, you know, there's there's two there's two really big names out there that I think are going to be consensus round one type grade players. Um, you know, when we get down to studying the film and publishing, like, you know, our final thoughts on guys, and it's Paris Johnson and Peter Skaronsky. Um, starting with Skaronsky, I just want to talk a little bit about him because I watched him a little bit last week. I watched the uh, the Ohio State game. Skaronsky's a lot better run blocker than I originally anticipated. Um, you know, he is the classic example of um, he already has a 
really good floor to work with because he's so technically refined. Um, You know, his hands, hand placement's excellent. You know, his hand usage, excellent. Um, You know, he's he's a a smooth setter. He's a a lot better in the run game than I anticipated. You know, I I knew that he was this refined pass blocker, um, but he's pretty good in the run game, man. When I was watching that Ohio State game, when he was coming down on doubles or whether it be zone blocking or just getting to the second level, he was moving guys out of gaps. He was impactful at the point of attack with heavy, heavy hands. And that's not something that I was – um, necessarily, I guess, expecting from him, but, you know, and then you got Paris Johnson, Paris Johnson was a guy that I watched in the summer and immediately thought this dude has the potential to be the first tackle taken. And I think that, um, it was a little bit different because Johnson played guard at Ohio state last year, even though he was recruited as a tackle, um, Ohio state had some NFL guys playing there last year, but, you know, Johnson slid back into that natural left tackle position of his. And, you know, he's looked the part. I mean, um, you talk about high ceilings. I mean, this dude has all the tools in the world that you could really want in a tackle. And I think that's when you're talking about taking a guy at that position in the first round, especially the top half of the first round, that's what you're looking for is that high ceiling um, where Johnson really gives you that, you know, he's excellent in the zone run game, can really move, get out in space, um, you talk about footwork. The dude has excellent, excellent footwork. Guys rarely, uh, rarely beat him around the edge from what I've seen this year in live viewings. Um, you know, Skaronsky to me, I think it's a, it's a question of like, what do you want the high ceiling or the, the maybe higher floor? Um, me personally, I think Skaronsky going to be a guard for most teams. Um, from what I understand, he has like 32 inch arms, which is well below the threshold for like what NFL teams typically look for. I mean, normally, I believe the threshold for most teams is around 34 inches. And like, we're, we're not even talking like Rashawn Slater was a historic outlier. Granted, I thought Slater's film was incredible. And that dude is insanely strong. Um, Skaronsky, wider in the shoulders. And that's a, that's a, that's a big deal. For honestly. sure. And Skaronsky, not that he isn't strong. It's just like Slater was an outlier in terms of like grip strength and just overall power profile for me when I was watching him out of Northwestern. And I still thought that, Hey, there's a chance this could not work out because when you lack that arm length, you are not going to be, you know, more often than not, you're not going to be able to make that first significant contact, especially against longer edge rushers, which we see more in the league guys that are more powerful than the guys that they're used to playing in college. So Skronsky for me, probably a guard. I think so in the league. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be, you know, if some team drafts him or the Steelers draft him to play tackle, I'm not going to, you know, freak out and say, oh, this is a terrible idea, bad pick, da, da, da. I just, I have my doubts on like whether he can make it work, but I do still think regardless, there is a high floor there because I still think he could be a Pro Bowl level guard. Yeah, for sure. Um, I haven't seen a lot of Skaronsky just yet. I've watched a lot of CJ Stroud and in Ohio State. So I've had the luxury of being able to watch Paris Johnson and DeWan Jones. And those guys, they give Stroud so much room in the pocket. It's almost like Zach Wilson at BYU-esque and just in terms of how how big of pockets that they end up getting. And Johnson, he's incredible in the screen game because you can really, really move out in space, and he, he knows how to punish guys. Like, I saw him absolutely throw a dude out of bounds, <laughs> and I love have, seeing a nasty to a tackle, especially when they're that athletic 
guy I I watched I, I started watching I have watched a lot of BYU I started watching Blake Freeland and I think he's more of a fit for a wide zone scheme but that's a guy who can really move really punish you in the run game overall like the like like we were saying with the tackle class like there's going to be a lot of different options to go from in terms of what the Steelers could potentially do maybe if it's early or maybe if it's a little later and I think that's the important part is having that flexibility and having that sense of, oh, if we don't get this guy, we don't have to panic because we like what we see, like what we've been seeing out of Dan Moore. And from how Tomlin has been speaking, and of course things change as the draft process rolls around, you can you can see you can you can almost feel like he he likes a lot of what he's seeing from Dan Moore and Dotson in terms of their growth. I overall, I, I think where I'm a little uh, interested on the offensive line, I think Mason Cole, I have some reservations about him in terms of being able to deal with some more powerful guys. And for me, showed up, showed up on Sunday or Saturday night against Andrew Billings. Billings was moving him. Yeah, no. Bi- yeah, that was a, that was not Put on a clinic. Yeah. <laughs> Billings, 2016 guy back in the back at back at Baylor, lo- loved what I saw out of him. But you know, of course, he's been a little bit more of a um, a little bit more of a journeyman. But Mason Cole being able to deal with that power overall and not get pushed back in the run game—that's something I want to. I think Mason Cole can can move pretty well, which is what you want to see from your center, and he has been more impressive than I thought. At least I think Same. he's serviceable. But for me, I think that's probably the most improvable position right now for me on the offensive line because I think I think center is that position where Pittsburgh has always had the reputation of having those Dermani Dawson's, the Mike Webster's, Jeff Harding's, Marquise Pouncey's. Especially that- with Pouncey, like the you talked about the ability to get out in space. I mean, yeah. Pouncey, a lot of people, um, you know, Pouncey's last year and a half in Pittsburgh was rough to watch because you could just tell that um, father time was kind of setting in um, with him. But Pouncey in his heyday, like earlier in his career, especially before he started, you know, really having some injury stuff of. Uh, special special mover yes you know in space and that you know that's you know it opens up a lot of the things that you can do with your offense in terms of like having those guys pull having those guys get to the second level which is something that the Steelers don't necessarily do a great job of in my opinion um but yeah I I, I agree with you yeah that's where I look at like a guy like a Joe like a Joe Tipman from Wisconsin who can really move for his size but he is powerful is all hell in the run game just ridiculous anchor much taller for a center than you'd expect but those are the that's the type of guy like that i think that they would need along their line a really good athlete who just can who just can really hold it down in in the run game really be able to climb and pull him too i mean guys ridiculous athlete probably going to test like in the night in like the 98th percentile in terms of agility just ridiculous <laughs> and i do want to talk um just because we're like throwing out names and you know yeah I, I like to i like to throw out names even if like we haven't finalized our thoughts on them, just so like the people that listen to the show can go like do their own research on some of these guys to get familiar with especially as we approach like senior bowl season and like draft season 
um, you know, never stops for us. But for a lot of people, it really starts when their team gets eliminated from the playoffs, which could be this weekend for the Steelers. Hopefully it's not. But, um, you know, I do I do want to throw out some names just in terms of uh, potential guys that I've seen or at least glimpses of that I think are worth talking about. Um, maybe not round one guys, but, you know, the Steelers had that 32nd, 33rd overall pick from the Chase Claypool trade. And then, you know, they're going to have their own second round pick. Um, and these are all guys that could be potentially in conversation there. Um, one of which is Tennessee's um, Darnell Wright. Um, I think he's like 6'5", 340 pounds. I mean, this dude is an absolute mountain of a human being. Um, unbelievable strength. And, you know, he had one of his signature games against Alabama where he really held Will Anderson in check, which is not something that um, really any tackles in the SEC have been able to do over the course of his career. But he had a really impressive game. I think Anderson finished with like one or two pressures, and that's it. So basically shut him out almost. Um, the thing that I watch or that I've seen with uh, Wright, I've seen a bunch of clips of him utilizing that snatch trap move. Incredible, um, like just strength overall, like the grip strength. When he gets his paws on you, you know, he's taking you where he wants you to go. So um, <laughs> that that is very uh, – that's a guy that I cannot wait to um, – really like look at him because I, I think that some of the things that he can do as a finisher in the run game and just some of the really impressive stuff I've seen in the passing game um, as a blocker has been uh, intriguing. Um, and then we talked about this guy a couple weeks ago, but Broderick Jones from Georgia, um, he's going to be playing this weekend in the college football playoffs um, has a big time matchup. Um, you know, Ohio state's got some uh, edge guys, you know, you talk about Zach Harrison um, kind of a freak athlete, but Jones, I'm a little bit up and down on um, in terms of technical stuff. Um, just the footwork looks a little bit um, off to me sometimes. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, he he's going to be a good prospect. He's somebody that I want to, you know, get around to. And then the last guy that I would say um, kind of intrigues me, or the last two guys more as like project type players, Later on day two would be like Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse and then uh, Maryland's Jalen Duncan. Duncan's tape is um, it's very up and down. There's a high variance of play um, really struggles. Um, you know, I think that he gave up like five or six sacks this year. A lot of those were due to speed just off the edge. Um, but you talk about athleticism and upside. I mean, he has a lot of athletic tools to work with. He just needs a lot of technical refinement, whether it be in his footwork or just hand placement. And then, um, Bergeron had a really good, uh, Brandon Thorne was the guy that first put me on to him like early in the season. Um, you know, he's pretty, I noticed him in the run game when I would watch Syracuse, he was a really good, uh, run blocker. Um, so he's another guy that I, I, I'm interested to see. But, you know, the tackle class, we talked about this before we jumped on, the tackle class looks better than we kind of anticipated maybe going into the summer. So, you know, that that's intriguing, at least for the Steelers who, you know, are I think they're going to take a swing at some point. It's just how early do they take that swing? Yeah, exactly. Looking um, forward to the uh, college football bowls, especially at the college football playoff this week. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a wild weekend. I, I'm really excited about these two matchups. Um, I'm excited to talk about it too. But yeah. you know, who who are the what's the what's the number one thing you're looking for? Let's start a little bit with the Ohio State Georgia game. That's definitely the game I'm most interested in personally. Uh, nothing yeah. against TCU Michigan, but I'm really interested to see that and uh, curious on your thoughts. 
So personally for me, I'm very interested to see how CJ Stroud reacts to the pressure of the Georgia defensive front. I did a lot of uh, watching of CJ Stroud's 2021 film uh, recently because I thought from the summer scouting that he reacted a little bit better to pressure and was more willing to climb um, in, in situations. I think one of the things that's been actually detrimental to his ability under pressure has been actually getting two bookend tackles like Paris Johnson, DeWan Jones. And I really want to see if he, if he really responds to those pressure situations. And I talk about this a lot, especially with Kenny Pickett, fight or flight. What are you going to rely on? Are you going to fight in the pocket and step up and, you know, take a hit with those pass rushers around you? Or are you going to try and flight out of the pocket, try to outrun a guy, make a, make a throw on the move? You know, I'm very curious to see if Stroud can, one, beat those guys to the corner because I do think he's an underrated athlete for what he's built as. He just doesn't use it. No, he no he doesn't. The funniest part is there's a there's a game against Northwestern and he has like a 60 yard run and I'm like why why don't you do this more often? And the funniest part is Justin Fields also didn't really do that in college as nearly as much as he should have. And maybe that has something to do with their coaching. You know, it's definitely a, it's definitely a big point of emphasis for me when I'm watching Stroud. Um, overall, like I'm just very curious to see how he responds to pressure. A lot of great matchups in this game, and I'm sure you're going to get to one of the best ones uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah I think for me, uh, because I've been going through a lot of cornerback tape, kind of like what I was talking about last week, I'm trying to finalize some uh, you know, thoughts on a lot of the higher-ranked or bigger-name quarterback or cornerbacks. But uh, Keely Ringo, I, I mean, we've talked all, all bowl season when we've previewed like some of the smaller bowls with a lot of draftable prospects and day three range. We just don't get to see a lot of the elite prospects play in bowl games anymore. A lot of guys sitting out because, you know, unless you're in the college football playoff, it really doesn't do a ton for like your stock or your program. Uh, but the college football playoffs give us a chance to see some of these elite matchups. And, you know, Keely Ringo is going to be going up against Marvin Harrison Jr. Harrison Jr., if you guys, which I'm sure most of you all, if you listen to the show, have seen. But um, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be the first receiver off the board. I would bet pretty much every dollar I had in my bank account. Um, that he's the first guy at that position taken next year. He has rare, like, top five receiver ability. Um, this is a guy who doesn't – I don't even know if there is a ceiling for him um, because already incredibly re- refined as, uh, you know, as a route runner, uh, excellent release package, can win contested catches. The body control is unbelievable, can high point the football, electric, good athlete can get down the field vertically. Like I, I don't really see a lot of negatives to Harrison's game. I mean, there's a very real um, conversation to be had about if he's already the best receiver in college football and he's not even draft eligible. Um, and then you look at Ringo who um, just in my live viewings of Georgia, um, Georgia's so dang dominant on defense. You know, I, I don't, I think Ringo's had a nice season. He's done some good things. Um, maybe just didn't take the leap that a lot of us were kind of maybe anticipating because of his, um, athletic profile um but you know Ringo special athlete in his own right and you know he's not going to be outmatched in that regard in terms of you know that matchup with Harrison it's going to be more about you know him uh being good with his footwork making sure that he's not over aggressive at the line of scrimmage um I'm very interested to see that matchup and I hope we get enough uh one-on-one reps between those two guys 
I anticipate just because of Georgia being a freaking wagon all season long that Ohio State's going to be playing from behind, which I actually think is a good thing because um, just in terms of draft um, insight or anything like that that I really care about, I want to see Stroud throw it against that defense. I want to see those bookend tackles, DeJuan Jones, Paris Johnson, be able to protect the edge. And then I want to see Ringo and how he does um, on the outside against those talented Ohio State receivers. So it's going to be a crazy matchup. Um, I hope that that game is competitive. Um, I think Georgia wins just because, like I said, I think they've just been a freaking wagon all season long. Um, And they have have just looked like the best team to me throughout. I mean, there have been times where I guess maybe halves of the season where they get – caught sleeping a little bit or get bored but man they've just been flat out dominant i will say i i will i will say this this much the lsu game in my opinion probably exposed a little bit of their weaknesses which i do believe if they run into like a dominant passing game that they could get into a lot closer of a game than people are expecting they were not great in the secondary. I watched that lsu game and there was a lot of like coverage breakdowns especially for i mean I know that they've got a lot of new players in the secondary and guys taking on like bigger roles like Ringo and Cam Smith, but they had some uncharacteristic coverage busts. They weren't plastering the guys whenever that backup quarterback was leaving the pocket. It was not, there was a lot of, uh, I agree, there were some red flags there. Yeah. I'm honestly very interested to see how Chris Smith um, and CJ Stroud end up battling because Stroud is very good with his eye manipulation. Smith is one of the more savvy safeties I've watched this year in terms of, I don't think he's an amazing athlete, but I think he's asked to do a lot of things and he does them extremely well. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, he he's very privy to how a defense, to how an offense lines up. He, he can see through the formation, see your tendencies be able to be able to uh just sit right there and then end up baiting you into a bad decision you know it's a bit that's a big big matchup i'm watching for sure sorry i was on mute yeah i i'm really interested in that matchup like i said i just hope it's a good game i want to see competitive um i want to see competitive games this weekend I, i don't really um have a rooting interest on uh who i'd like to see win um, but I, I do want to see uh, see competitive games. I do want to talk a little bit um, about the TCU Michigan game because there are some yeah. matchups in that one that um, have some NFL draft um, you know angles to it as well. I, I, first off, um, I think from the Steelers perspective, you mentioned centers. Um, Ooh, Steve I think Avila. You're about to- yeah, I, I, was, I have not actually had a chance to watch him, like study him, but he has popped for me on tape a couple of different times when I've watched TCU because they just they beat the hell out of teams at, at the line of scrimmage. I mean, there there are some games where it just feels like Kendrick they're playing Miller. on rookie. They're playing on rookie level at yeah. the line of scrimmage and just going to town on guys. I know Avila is a pretty good athlete um, in terms of I know he's played a couple of different positions. Um, you know, so that's always good. Like when you have an interior guy that's played and moved around, you know, he's got a ton of experience. The dude's massive. He's like six, four, three forty, or something like that. Um, you you know, he's got good power and he's, I don't think he's a, he's a bad athlete, but he, he can really, really, um, make a difference in the run game. Then Michigan, um, has Mozzie Smith. Smith, who is like the world's best athlete at nose tackle, just an absolute superhuman, 
Um, so the battle in the trenches really um, is intriguing to me. Uh, that battle is definitely one that I'm like circling in terms of like as soon as I get the film, I'm going to go watch that and put put out some clips because I think it's going to be yeah. like a um, a Godzilla type fight uh, between those two in the middle. And then just um, a guy that I watched this week and then putting out hopefully a scouting report or some final thoughts on him is uh Quentin Johnston. So I'm really excited about seeing him. Michigan's got some guys on the edge that are, are on the outside that are good players. Um DJ Turner, I think his first name's DJ. Uh that kid's got he's got some skills. I haven't um watched him specifically, but I watched him a little bit over the summer. Um he, he's a good athlete for the position. So I'm excited to see them. But Johnston, um I think I've all but confirmed that he's going to be my wide receiver one, unless something crazy pops out on tape with Jordan Addison that I didn't already know about him from last year. Um, but Johnson's ability just to win vertically with ease and the body control is unbelievable. I watched the Kansas game this week. He made this crazy play. They sent him on a slot fade. Duggan put the ball like in a really good spot, honestly, but Johnson's kind of running to his right and is able to look the ball into his shoulder like and catch the ball away from his frame at the yeah. very last moment and get his like one foot inbounds in the back of the end zone. And I was just like, holy crap, that is special. That is special type body control um, and just awareness uh, in the end zone. So I'm a big fan of Johnson. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know where he would have been picked last year because I had an otherworldly great on Garrett Wilson. I, I thought he was fantastic. Um, but, you know, Johnson's going to have around one grade for me for sure. And I think he's going to end up being the first receiver off the board. Yeah. You, you mentioned Johnston. Uh, you got, you, 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 you definitely p- picked up a lot of the uh, good topics uh, for, for, for this game. There's a lot of great ones. Johnston for me, like what's impressive about him is his ability to make a contested catch and still be able to go after, and still be able to transition after the catch. It's, it's, it's wild. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's special. Like the yeah. way he can sink his hips and then just explode out of his cuts. That is not normal for a six four receiver. Six four two fifteen. Yeah, that's 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 wild. And Different. you mentioned the matchup at the top, uh, Avila versus Mozzie Smith. Mozzie Smith is the number one uh, listed player on bruce feldman's freak list he is six foot three 337 pounds he's gonna have like a 33 he's like been timed at like a 33 inch vertical um he's close gripped benched 550 pounds he has a he's been timed at a 6.953 cone drill which I don't think I've ever seen anything like that for a defensive tackle who is listed at that. It's one thing to be powerful. It's one thing to be flexible like that and just be able to shift laterally like he does. So I'm very, very curious to watch him versus Steve Avila, who is an absolute road grader in terms of, you know, the bill, um, in terms of the the matchups to watch, I'm really interested to see Hodges Tomlinson, uh, who's another Feldman freak, versus Ronnie Bell. Definitely. Real quick, did you see that the Shrine he got? So Tomlinson is uh, Ladanian Tomlinson's nephew. Did you yeah. see that he got a Shrine Bowl invite, but they listed him as a safety? This is off topic, but did yeah, you see that? I. 
I, I saw that and I was like, one, I didn't know how he wasn't going to the senior bowl. Two, safety Agreed. that that didn't that didn't make a lot of sense to me, at least from what I've seen of him. But hey, he can you know he's an impressive athlete. He could probably do a lot of different things. Maybe they want to see his versatility. Yeah. You know, definitely something to keep an eye out for sure. Um, a guy I'm very impressed with. I'm I'm in terms of his balance is his his fluidity and his ability to string moves together kendra miller for me might be one of the top five running backs in this potential class if he ends up declaring he has really good receiving ability out of the backfield he can really he knows how to constantly fall forward on first contact but he also can keep his balance extremely well through contact which is a hugeness it's a huge plus for me i Yards after contact, we talk about it a lot, but I want to see guys who can churn out those yards through contact. That's a that's a type of stat I actually think people need to invest more in because I think the running back hit rate would go way up in that regard. But Miller, very explosive, can sink his hips extremely well. Very curious to see if TCU can get that push up front. And I think it's kind of interesting I'm not big on JJ McCarthy as a prospect right now for going forward for like several. He's got you know, buzz though. There's a lot of people that like him. Uh, yeah, the, he's definitely got to fill out into his frame. Maybe he ends up getting a little bit more arm strength in, in that regards. But I think him and Max Duggan, at least right now, they're very similar in terms of what they can do. They're not, they're, they're not the biggest arm guys and they're going to underthrow some guys. But they allow their guys to go up and get it, and that's one of the things that's going to be important to watch. You know, important to watch. How do how do the second how does the secondary end up playing um, those guys? And I honestly think these two teams are very similar. They're built very similar in terms of defense and being and able to trenches. dominate. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's I really like. It's unfortunate with Blake Corum, but Donovan Edwards is a talent. <laughs> Is is yeah. is a true true talent as a as a as a true sophomore. Very excited to watch him for years to come. Yeah. A lot of great matchups. Honestly, just looking forward to this college football playoff. And slightly off topic, can't wait to watch Oregon versus UNC tonight. That's where oh, recording. I know. I'm so mad that I'm missing that. I, yeah. I think it's. I think on paper that Oregon UNC game might be the best matchup for bowl season period. I, yes. I, I really do. I think it's just in terms of uh, what I'm interested in you know I've, i'm interested in drake may and uh even bo nix has ca- caught my interest but there's there's a lot of uh guys with oregon that i think have particular interesting draft story or angles um but yeah you mentioned quorum like you, you mentioned kj miller this this running back class is insanely good that's why i'm so upset that quorum got hurt because you know he was in the middle of like a heisman yeah. bid uh michigan's in the, you know the college football playoff um i really thought that, you know, it was very unfortunate that, you know, he's missed time uh, with this injury kind of going down the stretch. But, you know, Corum, he's going to be in the mix in terms of like day two running backs. I don't know how the um, I don't know necessarily know how the running back pecking order is going to play out, but that's going to be a position that's got crazy depth. Um, and, and Miller, uh, as soon as you you were the first one um, that really talk to me a lot about you know how special he is and every time like I said when I pop on TCU it just seems like they're mauling teams up front and he's you know making guys miss running through guys 
Um, I've had a lot of fun watching TCU over the past couple of days when studying Johnston too. So going to be an interesting um, weekend of college football. Um, I do want to tell you guys, appreciate the support on the channel, um, on the show. It's been awesome feedback and all that stuff. So uh, if you like the video, make sure you drop a like, subscribe. You can find us at youtube.com slash all Steelers or wherever you get your platforms. We will be back next week, hopefully to review, you know, these college football games and, you know, talk some more uh, Steelers draft stuff. We will holler at you guys later. Peace. Peace.